We are in the book of Habakkuk, so if you have your Bibles, let's turn there. And uh, get to our study this evening. We are in chapter 5, sorry, chapter 2, verse 5. I knew there was a 5 in there somewhere, but it wasn't the chapter because there are five chapters in this book. There's only three, which means we're almost done with this book. A lot of things uh, are coming up in the next few weeks uh, that I want to draw your attention to or call your attention to uh, at the, uh, let's see, we're going to have a very special guest musician with us this weekend on Saturday and Sunday at, at the services, uh, Buck Storm. He's uh, traveled around the country, actually all over the world, uh, uh, singing for the Lord and, uh, and doing so with some very, very uh, well-known musicians like Phil Keggy and uh, uh, Randy Stonehill. Some of you might remember those names. Others might wonder who I'm speaking of. But these were musicians from back in the Jesus days or the uh, Jesus movement uh, of the uh, 70s and 80s. Buck's not that old, though. He's a young guy, but he's a really great musician and a wonderful, wonderful uh, storyteller. He's, a, he's actually an author. He, you can get his book. He'll probably talk about his book when he's here. Uh, he has a book that he wrote, and uh, actually you can get it on Amazon, I think, and, and Barnes & Noble and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so he's a pretty, pretty talented guy, so we're really thankful to have him come and share his music with us. That's this coming weekend, so don't go anywhere. Come and sing. He's a great worship leader, too, so I know that's mostly what he's going to do. And then, let's see. <clears throat> On the 6th of February is a men's, uh, the men's conference, which is going to be this year. It's going to be up at uh, Calvary Chapel Sun City on the west side, and uh, we're going to be focusing our attention upon threat assessments, and um, I'll be teaching one of the sessions, so I look forward to all the men coming up and being a part of that over there, and uh, some information I think were, was handed out in the bulletin, so you have that. And then I want to remind couples that on the 12th, of February, which is a Friday night. Uh, we're going to be meeting in this room, uh, having our couple's dinner, and uh, very special guests, uh, Joseph and Dia Gross from Calvary Chapel of uh, Silver City will be with us and uh, sharing the word that evening. And so we really want to encourage you, if you haven't gotten your tickets already, please do so. And uh, there will be a lot of food and fun and as well as uh, fellowship and the wonders of God's Word. And we look forward to that. So busy, busy couple of weeks coming up. I may have missed something along the way. Maybe not. Maybe I've added things. I don't know, but we'll see. I appreciate you all very much. Uh, when I, when I uh, get away to, as a matter of fact, I was in Silver City this past weekend. And uh, it was a joy to be there with them. And uh, it used to be, that um, I would come back and I would say, I'm really sorry I wasn't here, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
I, I, I don't say that anymore. I say, you know, I don't say I'm sorry about doing what God wants me to do. So when, when I'm away, it's because the Lord's calling me to do these things. And 2016 may be one of those years because there's been, there's been years I haven't gone anywhere. I'm just with you guys. And I love you, and that's why I enjoy being with you, you know. But sometimes the Lord says, get out of there. And, you know, so he'll send me and do something somewhere else. So, but, you know, the Lord's blessed us with, with, a, with a wonderful staff of pastors, and, and they love you as much, and, and they put their hearts uh, into the Word of God when they teach here, too. So keep praying for us. Habakkuk chapter 2. I find it interesting that, uh, you know, as we're looking at the uh, uh, race for the president of the United States, you know, coming up uh, in 2016, in November, and all of these uh, uh, things that are happening politically across, you know, our country, but the effects of everything that happened around the world, you know, it, it's just interesting to me that... Uh, you know, we, we hear people talk a lot about things that are happening in Iran, you know, one of our major enemies in the scriptures, and, and we've had troops in, in the Middle East and Iraq and, and Afghanistan for a number of years now, and, and uh, you know, we're, we just see all these uh, tensions with terrorists and whatnot. And the fact of the matter is that, you know, when we hear it on the political end of it and the, and the news, uh, we always hear these modern names, Iraq, Iran, those are modern names. But we need to realize that when those names are mentioned, we're talking about biblical countries that still exist, giving uh, a tremendous amount of reliability to the Scriptures. And when we deal with per, uh, Persia, I mean Iran, we're talking about Persia. When we hear Babylon, we're talking about Iraq and other areas of, of, that, uh, of that region. And Egypt, of course, is still Egypt, and there's still uh, a, a lot that has to happen with Egypt in these last days. As we're moving actually toward our study of the, of the book and prophecy of Ezekiel, uh, these names are becoming even more prominent. So uh, keeping, a, keeping our attention on, on biblical names we need to realize these countries are still active in the world today because God said these prophecies are pointing not just to a specific time near the prophet's life, but actually in the end times. And, and I think that there'll be a couple of verses we'll see here in, in chapter 2 of uh, Habakkuk. Now, last time we looked at verses 1 through 4 as Habakkuk was receiving a word from the Lord to write down the vision the vision of the prophecy that he was given. And uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. But the, the central figure or the central uh, verse of, of this whole passage is, is in verse 4, where, where God is saying to Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. The enemy is, is prideful and ungodly and unrighteous. But the just shall live by faith. The, the just shall live by his faith. And it wasn't just a message that Habakkuk was to give to the children of Israel and, and Judah. It was a message for him. Because he, because he was questioning God about his seeming inactivity. About his injustice of using a nation like Babylon or the Chaldeans 
to, to bring judgment upon Israel. Though they were in need of it because that was Habakkuk's burden, was, was, was his own people disobeying God and, and, and rejecting God and, and being rebellious toward God. The Lord says to him, the just shall live by his faith. So I want to begin there. I want to look at verse 4. and We're going to start there, actually, as we slide into verse 5, okay? So we kind of have a little context. people. So, at the onset of our study in the book of Habakkuk, I mentioned that the prophet's name meant to embrace or to be embraced. And that meaning is still right. It's still the proper meaning and understanding of his name. But I want to enhance the, the understanding of that meaning. Because the picture or the illustration from the very beginning may very well be not just of embracing God, but more like grappling or wrestling with God over the issues of God's seeming inactivity and His seeming injustice and His allowance of the wicked Babylonians to prosper. So no, you know when you're grappling with somebody, you're wrestling with somebody, you're kind of embracing them, right? But it's kind of an embrace of a struggle. That was chapter 1 with Habakkuk. So in other words, how can a good God use evil to accomplish His purposes? That's how Habakkuk struggled to understand how God works. But consider this, if you will. The Lord did not answer all of Habakkuk's why questions. So let me ask you this. Does God ever answer all of your why questions? He doesn't answer mine. He did not answer the time question. You know what the time question is, right? How long? How long is all of this going to happen? How long is this going to be? God doesn't answer that question. He didn't answer why he was silent. When Habakkuk brought his complaint to the Lord, he simply spoke to the prophet and told him to write down what he said and to listen to it and to learn from it. Now, he also commissioned the prophet to, to declare these things with others around him and even to us today. As I mentioned last time, the key to God's statement that the just shall live by his faith was, is, and will always be obedience. That is the key. Obedience to God, obedience to his word. God commands and we must obey. The fact of the matter is we know, though, one thing we do know about God, our, our God is, is not capricious, not like some of the old worldly leaders of the past or of the present, as it were. <laughs> make decisions just on, on a whim. Make, you know, this is not our God. We know 
this one thing about our God. He is right. He is just. He is true. And because of that, and by the way, he's merciful and gracious and kind and loving. Because we know these things about God, we can trust him. We can put our full weight of faith and dependency upon him. But when God does command, we must obey. Now, the Lord wants us to follow him. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to grow stronger in him. But God isn't going to make us do anything per se. In other words, he's not going to force us. He gives us the opportunity. He gives us the opportunity to choose between following a God who is an eternal God, who is a personal God, who is a holy God, who is a dependable God, or following an enemy who is rebellious and selfish and a destroyer of anything that is good. Decisions, decisions, decisions. It was a word that is even used in the scriptures that, that, that placed the, the children of Israel in a, in a position of, of finding themselves in the valley of decision. You got to make a decision to follow after God. I want you to think about it this way. Think about it in terms of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount when he said in Matthew chapter 7 verses 14 and 13. Man, he says, you enter. So that's, that's what we don't oftentimes see, but grammatically speaking, this is a statement of direct command. You enter. that find it. So when it gets right down to the nitty-gritty, there are only two roads that we can take in life. The road that leads to life or the road that leads to destruction. That's what Jesus is saying here. The Lord always shows us the benefits and the consequences to our decisions. And then he allows us to decide. Uh, this is a wonderful God we have. It's like road signs. Road signs. How many of you fo uh, follow road signs? Nobody wants to say they do. Okay, some of you do. All right. Now, if you get on a road and there's a winding road like this, I mean, you know that something's coming up ahead. You're not going to say, well, I don't like that road. I'm just going to go my own way, you know, right straight through, you know. You can't do that, Jim. I mean, obviously you've got to do some of those road signs even if you don't like it. But it's like road signs. They are given to us, the ones especially that give us a command. <laughs> they are given to us so that we will know the law, and what potential dangers are ahead. We have to decide whether or not to heed the signs. 
and a sign that gives indication that a person is on the road that leads to life is their faith. A sign that gives indication that a person is on the road that leads to life is their faith. That's a sign. One passage in Hebrews 11 is essential in understanding this. And I want you to turn to Hebrews 11, because uh, verses 1 through 6. And we're going to just look at this. It's kind of establishing what we're going to see in the rest of this chapter. So bear with me. But in Hebrews chapter 11... It's a good explanation of faith. It's a good definition of faith, as it were. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Good report from God. You do all the things that your teacher says, and you get a good report at the end of, of a session. Through faith. If we were to go all the way back to, to Revelation, I'm sorry, uh, back to Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, you know, when, when, we, when we consider that statement, we have to believe that by faith, you see, because none of us were there to see it. Although so much has happened in, 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 in history, uh, when, when history began that day, but so much has happened in history and science and all that gives us an, a greater indication that God indeed did create the heavens and the earth when he did, how he did, and why he did. So through faith we understand that the Here, by faith... Cain was, was murdered by his own brother, yet by his life of faith, he still speaks. By God. I think this is very important that if we, real, if, we, if we are really looking for the rapture of the church coming when Jesus comes to gather his church together, why, it would be really good to be pleasing God at the time. All right. About uh, understanding this verse rightly and, and you know, I, I think it gives pretty clear uh, word here. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For He... That's pretty obvious. If you've come to God, you believe that He is. This was one reason why I've mentioned, I think, this past week and then, then, then also I, uh, this weekend when I was in Silver City that it, it burdens my heart when I hear people who are, you know, out in the limelight of Christian music or Christian whatever, ministry, you know, people say, well, you know, I, 
I, I've been serving and doing this and that, but, but you know, I've been listening to these other philosophies and stuff, and you know what, now I'm not a Christian anymore. In fact, I'm an atheist. Did you really come to God? Because he that cometh to God must believe that he is. This is how important faith is as a road sign in our life. Are we pleasing God? And it's something that we have to check every day. We have to give evidence of our lives as believers in Jesus Christ. We are to examine ourselves daily to see that we are in the faith, we are told by the Apostle Paul. Examine yourselves daily to see that you are in the faith. Because without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. There are certainly other road signs, and I, I'm going I'm to have to put it in overdrive probably in a little while, but there are other signs, road signs, that we're on the right road. Righteousness. We sang a few songs tonight about being hungry. And I told Sean, you know, back when we were practicing, I said, man, you're making me hungry now, just, you know, thinking about all this hunger. But, but the reality is we're talking about the spiritual hunger. Do you hunger and thirst after righteousness? Because Jesus himself said, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will be filled. If you're hungering and thirsting for that which is right, to do what is right and to live what is right and to live how is right, then you will be filled. God will not keep what we need to walk right before God. Keep, he won't keep anything from us that we might walk before God. Another road sign is humility and love for others. That's actually two road signs. Humility and love for each other. Are others more important to you than you? Because that's what Jesus taught us. That others need to be more important than us. And even our desires are road signs. Because we have to ask the question, what motivates us today as believers in Jesus Christ? What motivates us? What are our priorities today? What, what is your priority today? when it comes to your faith in Jesus Christ, when it comes to your calling as a believer in Jesus Christ, what motivates you when you get up in the morning? What motivates you to do those things that honor God first and foremost, and above all, when you begin the day, and when you live the day, and when you end the day? Turn to Psalm 145. You might be thinking, I thought we were in Habakkuk. We are. We're getting there. We're on that road. It's pretty windy. But we'll eventually get there. But we've got to follow the road signs. This is one of the road signs. Psalm 145, beginning with verse 14. The Lord upholds all that fall and raises up all those that be bowed down. Aren't you glad for that? That when you are struggling, when you're, when you're, when you're feeling the weight of the world upon your shoulders and you're, and you're just kind of, and at times you do fall, 
I don't think there's one of us in this whole room that hasn't fallen at some time in their life, maybe even today. But this is the encouragement that we, we're given by the Holy Spirit. The Lord upholdeth all that fall and raises up all those that be bowed down. Verse 15, the eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. We look to him to provide for our every need. And you know, sometimes we take for granted the very fact that God gives us everything that we need in Christ. Both in this life and in the life to come. But he gives us everything that we need. And we wait for him. And he always gives us what we need. And then it says, Thou openest thine hand and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. You see, our desires are important. But what is your desire? What is your desire? But that the desires of our God through our lives and in our lives will be met to his honor and to his glory. Right? Amen? Thou openest thine hand and satisfieth the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him. Nigh, by the way, is just, you know, this is old English for near. The Lord is near unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. Notice how we call upon him is important. Not just to call upon him, but to call upon him in truth. Because the fact is, if you don't call upon him in truth, God's going to know. He's, he might be the only one that knows, but he's the one that knows. You can't fool him. I mean, people try to fool me all the time. They try to fool, fool people in the ministry all the time. But you know what? I just say, well, you know what? You can fool me, but you can't fool God. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. Now there's the key about the desires of our life. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. Oh, what a joy it is to know that he still saves. The Lord preserveth all them that love him, but all the wicked will he destroy See, this is the verse that brings us back to Habakkuk. <laughs> One more verse, I believe. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. And as I said, this psalm actually leads us back to our text in Habakkuk because it says the Lord preserves all them that love him, but all the wicked he will eventually destroy. And this is what the Lord is preparing to let the prophet know. The rest of this chapter, chapter 2 of Habakkuk, can be viewed in a couple of ways. The Lord is saying to Habakkuk that he needs to know the character of the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. In other words, Habakkuk, you need to know the character of this enemy. And what he is doing to, uh, and what he is going to do to them, what he's going to do to his people, you need to know the character, and you also need to know what I'm going to do to the Babylonians. But this chapter also can be seen as the Lord telling the prophet that he, the Lord, is well aware of the character of the Babylonians. 
In other words, Havakuk, don't come to me as if I don't know what's going on. I know exactly what's going on. So you need to be aware. And I already am aware of the character of the Babylonians. God doesn't have to be lectured by anyone concerning the enemy. And so as we go back to verses 4 and 5 to start our study tonight, and it's going to be kind of, kind of quick because I want to go through all the chapter. Uh, and so I'm going to cover it generally speaking. And along the way, I hope to maybe set some verses clear. But uh, in, in verse 4 it says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Yea, also because he transgresseth, transgresseth by wine, he is a proud man, neither keepeth at home who enlargeth his desire as hell and is as death and cannot be satisfied, but gathers unto him all nations and heapeth unto him all people. What does that mean? Well, very briefly, let me just say that the Lord is probably referring to Nebuchadnezzar in verse 4 as representative of the Babylonians at the time of their invasion of Jerusalem. As I said, he's speaking of their whole arrogance, but he says he... Therefore, speaking of the leader, and the leader himself at that time would have been Nebuchadnezzar. So when we met him, Nebuchadnezzar, in the book of Daniel, the king of Babylon was quite a boastful character and became more arrogant unto the Lord uh, until the Lord revealed himself to this pagan monarch. But in verse 5, the Lord begins to reveal the future to Habakkuk. For following this verse, the Lord will present five woes, W-O-E-S, five woes, a type of song, by the way, that is called a lament, sung against Babylon and predicting its overthrow. These woes had their immediate fulfillment when the Medes and the Persians conquered Babylon. They will have their ultimate fulfillment when at the end of the seven-year period called the Great Tribulation, or the full of extent of the Tribulation, God destroys a future revived Babylon. Now, if you go to Revelation chapter 17, verses 1 and 2, you'll notice that th there it says, and I'll read it to you, and there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, or the seven bowls, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk, notice, made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Now, in verse 5 of this chapter in Revelation, just look down there if you're in Revelation 17, which you should be doing, by the way, following me along, not just reading up here, because you can see it in your Bible, then you can make certain notes that you might need to make, like you do now. Verse 5 of Revelation 17 uh, tells us that the great harlot uh, is identified as Mystery Babylon, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. So think about this. Once a drunk, always a drunk, it seems, for Babylon. Once a drunk, always a drunk for Babylon. In fact, we know from the book of Daniel that the Babylonian kingdom fell 
to the Medes and the Persians while they were having a major drinking party. You remember that in Daniel chapter 5. But the words of Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 5 aren't really about alcohol and they're not really about liquor consumption. As I gave you some road signs to life, there are also road signs to destruction. The first road sign to destruction that we find here given by God to Habakkuk about Babylon is greed. That is the first road sign to destruction, greed. Let me just say at this point that the self-sufficient and righteous are deceived and betrayed by their wine. They are betrayed by their arrogance. They are betrayed by their restlessness, by their greed, by their dissatisfaction, and their thirst for war and slavery, and they are never satisfied. When you go back to verse 5 for just a moment of, of Habakkuk chapter 2, it mentions hell. It mentions Sheol, the place of the dead. And hell is never satisfied. This is the point of verse 5. Hell is never satisfied. Along with that, death is mentioned. Death is never satisfied. And especially in this day and in this time of ours, on this earth, you know, we have our church right next door to a funeral home over here. They have a lot of business. A lot of people go through there. And there's another one down the street a few blocks away. And a few others every place else. Why? Because death is a big business. People die. And it almost seems like death is never satisfied. Death and hell want one more, and one more, and one more, and one more. But add to this what the Lord says in verses 6 through 8. Add to this what we see in verse 5. Look at verse 6. Shall not all these take up a parable against him? Now this is speaking of the, of the, uh, of the nations that are being conquered. Specifically, it will become Judah and Jerusalem pretty soon. So he says, shall not all these take up a parable against him? and taunting proverb against him, and say, woe to him that increases that which is not his. How long? And to him that ladeth himself with thick clay. Let me just say what uh, thick clay is here in the King James. Uh, some of your translations may say pledges or uh, riches or something of that sort. And, and, and really, when, when you think about it, when, when the uh, Babylonians went into the temple uh, and uh, began to destroy Jerusalem, and especially the temple, you know, there wasn't one stone that would be, un, you know, not, you know, unturned. But every bit of, uh, everything that they could take from that temple, they did. And many times, you know, there was, there was gold and, and silver in clay. Well, that's also when you dig you know, that's how you find these veins of gold and silver in caves or wherever it, wherever it is. It's, it's busting out the thick clay to get the, you know, the gold and the silver. So that's, that's the picture here. 
But it's also, you know, the, the, the woe to them, this, this, this lament, this uh, uh, warning, as it were, as well, uh, is, is, is to him that increases that which is not his. In other words, taking from others to have more and to have more and to have more and never being satisfied with what they get. And then in verse 7 it says, shall they, not all, shall they not rise up suddenly that shall bite thee, and awake that shall vex thee, and thou shalt be for booties unto them. In other words, uh, you know, the, all, all the ones that you're going to take from eventually at some point in time, they're going to come and bite you for it. Because thou hast spoiled many nations. All the remnant of the people shall spoil thee. Because of men's blood and for the violence of the land and the city and of all that dwell therein. So you see the descriptions used here by the Lord were to describe the Chaldeans' lust for power. They were drunk on conquest. They were drunk on conquest. It's interesting that the night Babylon fell during their that drunken party I mentioned earlier, they had, they had brought out, listen to this, they had brought out the goblets that had been plundered from the temple in Jerusalem. And they began to drink out of them. And, and, and they were drinking out of them, mocking God. And you know, when you begin to mock God, God takes note of it. And though things may not happen immediately, the time will come when things will happen. And God will come and settle an account unless you repent of that mocking of God and give your life to God and to Christ. But they were drinking out of those goblets and while they did this, they mocked God. Daniel chapter 5, verses 4 through 6. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. And then that's King Belshazzar. Uh, then the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. I mean, you know, this, this particular king, this, by the way, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. When the Medes and the Persians came, it was, it was, it was Belshazzar. I mean, the guy was shaking, honestly shaking and, and, and sounding like maracas, you know, with his knees. But here's one application that we ought to consider. Listen carefully. Don't we have a hard enough struggle against the flesh already? Why get drunk so that you have fewer inhibitions to temptation? Why get drunk so that you have fewer embarrassments to temptation? Why get drunk so that you have fewer hang-ups to temptation? In other words, the more you get drunk, the, 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 you know, the less worried you are about temptation. You just go fall into temptation wherever you are. That's what happens with a greedy heart and mind that says, I'm never satisfied. I want more. There's a second road sign. 
to destruction, and that's selfishness. Selfishness. Tied very closely to greed, of course. Let's look at verses 9 through 11. It says, Woe to him that coveth, coveteth an evil covetousness to his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of evil. Thou hast consulted shame to thy house by cutting off many people, and hast sinned against thy soul. For the stone shall cry out of the wall, and the beam out of the timber shall answer it. Verse 9 is, is somewhat telling when it says, Woe to him that coveteth an evil covetousness to his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he, that he may be delivered from the power of evil. As he would now consider the evil being not something that truly is evil, but something that is truly right, which is God. But the nest, like an eagle. Babylon thought of itself as an eagle, secure in its lofty nest. Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler of Babylon during the Judean captivity, would learn something about being an eagle. Going back to Daniel chapter 4 for just a minute. At the time of his greatest arrogance and pride, we're told in Daniel 4, verse 30, the king spake and he said, is this, I should say, the king spake and said, is not this great Babylon that I have built, you see the emphasis, that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty. He just focused on him as if he was the God of gods. And while the word was in the king's mouth, while he's saying these things, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. The kingdom is departed from thee. And they shall drive thee from men. And thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen. And seven times shall pass over thee, seven years, by the way, until thou knoweth that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men and did eat grass as oxen. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair, or till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers. Notice. And his nails like bird's claws. You know, why, why are we always thinking that <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar was wolf-like? And we always think that Nebuchadnezzar looked like wolf-man. Ow! When the Lord himself says that he was made eagle-like. And then we come back to Habakkuk. And we see how their pride is like that which has their nest. In what they would consider to be a safe and secure place. 
as a people the Chaldeans thought that they could ascend on high and secure themselves. But that sounds a lot like a man that Jesus spoke about in Luke chapter 12. I'd like for you to turn there and look at verses 16 through 21, this parable of Jesus. Luke 12, verses 16 through 21, it says, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself. Now there's the first problem of this man. He thought within himself. That's uh, a real hard uh, concept of thinking, you know, but, but not really. There's a lot of people who think within themselves and actually speak to themselves because he said, what shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? Huh, thinking within himself rather than ask God, you know, God, well, you know, you're the one that blessed me with all this stuff. Uh, shall we build more barns or whatever? Or maybe I should give this away or whatever. All right. So he thought within himself, say, what shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, this will I do. Now, you know, I've always said it's, it's, it's not a bad thing if a person talks to himself. What's really bad is when he answers himself, right? I mean, that's, that's a real problem. I mean, you know, we all sometimes talk to ourselves, but, we, but when you start talking back to yourself like you're just answering and you're having this conversation with you, there's a problem. That's, that's dangerous. So he said, this will I do. I will pull down my bards and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul? Always like that. I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Not rich toward God. May I take you back a few thousand years before Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian kingdom to the man named Avram, and Avram, who was from a place called Ur of the Chaldees, from the area of the Tigris and Euphrates River, the very same area where these people would rise from. Abraham went back to his family, but before he even left his family, they left, he left with a knowledge that they had that he was now following the one true God. So what happened to those truths? What happened to that knowledge over the years? The same thing goes with the sons of Noah. And as they had gone out, you know, to uh, all parts of the world after the flood <clears throat> to repopulate the world, they should have all left and gone together with the knowledge of, of God. But before you know it, there were very few people who, re, 
who remembered if even knew about the God of Noah. So you see, we're still responsible for what we know. And when values are gone, like a lot of the values that were the bedrock of Christianity in, in our country from its founding, they're all deteriorating. Where are they now? That we legislate to allow abominations to take place in our country? When if you remember what we read back in Revelation 17, Mystery Bab Babylon, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth? And we, we are proud as a people of that? We have nothing to be proud of. We've forsaken the truth of God and forsaken the Word of God. It is so important that we become vigilant to value what the Lord values. It is important that we become vigilant to value what the Lord values. Well, values for the Babylonians have gone out the window. So it leads us to the third road sign to destruction. Treating others wickedly. Verses 12 through 14 of our text. Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood and establishes a city by iniquity. Behold, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the people shall labor in the very fire and the people shall weary themselves for very vanity? For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There is coming a time, and very quickly here, we'll get to those other verses, but very quickly, the point is that we're getting to a time that there will be a time when the Lord himself will come again and the Lord will rule in Jerusalem again and the glory of the Lord. Well, the earth, of, I should say, shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The cities of the Babylonian Empire were built by the blood and the sweat of enslaved peoples. Murder, bloodshed, oppression, and tyranny were the tools used in their building projects. The word translated iniquity <clears throat> summarizes this type of injustice toward others. The Lord would judge Babylon. Those, those whom they enslaved to build for them are depicted as stoking the fires of the inevitable judgment upon Babylon. They used enslaved people. They didn't, they didn't care for their lives. They didn't care for their souls. They didn't care for anything about them. But it is because of them that they, there will be a stoking of the fires that will in, eventually turn around and burn down Babylon itself. The Babylonians thought they were building, but their injustices would leave them burning. Now, future Babylon is described in Revelation chapter 18, verses 10 through 13, in this very same manner, in a sense. Well, let me, let me just describe the manner that is that's described in verse, uh, verses 10 through 13. You can read it later because of time. But they trafficked not only in material commodities. So the future Babylon will traffic 
not only in material commodities, and, and now I'm just quoting from that passage, such as gold, silver, precious stones, cinnamon, and ointments, animals, and chariots, but they also trafficked and will traffic in slaves and the souls of men. That's Revelation 18, verse 13. They will traffic in, 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 the, in slaves and the souls of men. And I, back when we studied the book of Revelation, I had mentioned to you that what may be the very center of mystery Babylon being uh, the Saudi Arabian Peninsula that, is, uh, that includes uh, Dubai and Kuwait and, 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 and uh, Arab, United Arab Emirates. They're building the biggest uh, towers, the biggest cities. You think about Dubai, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that go to Dubai, you know, they, they welcome them to come, you know, to uh, vacation there. Golfers go and, you know, have big major tournaments there. And, and all this money, but every building in Dubai was built by slave labor. And the prophecy is against that. And I'm sure that you're aware that women and children are being sold as sex slaves all over the world, even today. The Lord is concerned that societies care for the poor, the widows, the children, and the elderly, we must do what we can. But just remember that all of our efforts at social justice will fall short until Jesus is on the earth. Ruling and reigning for, unto, for only then will the earth be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now again, I told you earlier that I was just going to cover a lot of this just generally speaking. I'll come back and touch upon these as we get into the next chapter. The fourth road sign to destruction is leading others in wrongdoing. Leading others to do wrong. God is, is you know, when, when we tempt people to do something that's bad, they may be judged, but we're going to be judged more. Do you understand that concept? That's what's being said here, yes? You know what I'm saying? Remember you used to try to, you know, when you were in school, you used to try to get some people to do something bad, and you used to laugh about it, then somehow God got back to you. Hello? God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, so shall he also reap. Verses 15 through 18, it says, Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that puttest thy bottle to him, and makest him drunken, also that thou mayest look on their nakedness. Thou art filled with shame for glory. Drink thou also, and let thy foreskin be uncovered. The cup of the Lord's right hand shall be turned unto thee, and shameful spewing shall be on thy glory. For the violence of Lebanon shall cover thee, and the spoil of beasts which made them afraid because of men's blood, and for the violence of the land of the city, and of all that dwell therein. What profiteth the graven image that the maker thereof have graven it, the molten image and a teacher of lies that the maker of his work trusteth therein to make dumb idols? Those taken captive by Babylon were forced to adopt the Babylonians' immoral practices and were forced upon to bring sordid pleasure to them. Both figuratively and literally, they got their captives drunk in order to take sinful advantage of them. Our society today is pouring its own vine or its own wine and its vintage of immorality. 
We are being bombarded with ideas and images to intoxicate people into accepting the immorality of the times. Societies all over the world are hard at work blurring the lines of gender differences, for example, and encouraging the abandonment of biblical morality. It will one day be exposed as the sordid, shameful expressions of the natural man opposed to that which God intended. So as we put temptation out there for people to see and people to take, like forbidden fruit as it were, then the judgment itself will come harder and stronger and more vicious upon the tempters than the, temp than the tempted. And verse 18 is actually a transition to the next woe because it talks about graven images, but in the, the next woe is this. The road sign number five to destruction is putting everything else ahead of God. Putting everything else ahead of God. Woe unto him that saith to the wood, Awake! To the dumb stone, Arise! It shall teach. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it. What have the Psalms told us? They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. But notice verse 20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him.